From talk to music, from Johannesburg to Israel, from sport to business, this is 101.9 High FM. Hello, this is Sue Jackson on Finding Human, and it's the most beautiful day outside, and I'm really pleased to be in the studio next to Craig. Hi, Craig, and Vussy next door. And today I was going to be having a, a guest, but unfortunately it didn't work out. But I have got some things to talk to you about, especially about the roles we are born to live or to play. And, uh, you know, it's almost as though we have to adapt or die. Throughout our lives, we are expected to take on these many, many roles. Now, what got me thinking, actually, was that my granddaughter, my new granddaughter, arrived yesterday from Israel. And I watched as one after the other, her aunts, her uncles, her cousins, arrived to welcome her and to meet her. And uh, to welcome her into our clan and our family. And each one of them in their own way, no matter the age, gazed at this baby in absolute awe. It was so beautiful to witness this love and this connection and this sense of belonging already. How wonderful. And it made me think of a poem that my granny used to read to me. My gran was uh, was Scottish, and she had this beautiful Scottish soft sort of lilt to her voice, which I can't copy, but I'll read you this poem. And funny enough, it comes from a book that she gave me, which was printed in 1912, and I've got it in front of me still. And it says, Baby, and it's by George MacDonald. Where did you come from, baby dear? Out of the everywhere into here. Where did you get those eyes so blue? Out of the sky as I came through. What makes the light in them sparkle and spin? Some of the starry twinkles left in. Where did you get that little tear? I found it waiting when I got here. What makes your forehead so smooth and high? A soft hand stroked it as I went by. What makes your cheek like a warm white rose? I saw something better than anyone knows. Whence that three-cornered smile of bliss? Three angels gave me at once a kiss. Where did you get this pearly ear? God spoke and it came out to hear. Where did you get those arms and hands? Love made itself into bonds and bands. Feet, whence did you come, you darling things? From the same box as the angel's wings. How did they all just come to be you? God thought about me, and so I grew. But how did you come to us, you dear? God thought about you, and so I am here. That poem meant so much to me growing up. And I think, funny enough, as a, at a very, very young age, God was brought into my life because of that poem and because of realizing that there was something greater before me and there will be something much greater after me. And my gran was a Protestant, but um, a very firm believer in her own way. And certainly she loved reading poetry to me, and I have a love of it still. Now, as much as everyone was in total awe of our new baby, my youngest grandson was so confused because I told him that he used to be our baby. And he said, 
oh, so I have a mommy granny. I then confused him even more by saying, well, your mommy was once my baby and now she's your mommy and uh, and you're her baby. Well, needless to say, that really uh, kind of got him thinking. Um, in our lives, we have so many roles to play and that's what it made me think about. All the roles that we take on from baby to toddler to preschool, nursery school, pre-primary, primary, junior high, high school, tertiary education, mother, father, grandparents, aunts, uncles, cousins, friends, employer, employee, teenagers. What about a daughter, a, daughter, a son, a son-in-law, a mother-in-law? What about stepchildren? Stepfathers, stepmothers. So it goes on and on and on. And quite honestly, nothing prepares us for the many roles unique to each of us. There's a Latin word which says finis, which has two meanings. The end of all, the finish, and a goal to reach. And this is what Frankel, Victor Frankel, calls the transitory nature of life. It has a beginning and an end. We know the date when we entered this world, but we do not know when when we will end our lives journey. Therefore, our goal is to live our life with patience, persistence, and care. And as I said, nothing prepares us for these roles. And I remember my own absolute amazement when I had my first child, even though I had been a nursing sister, I had done extra pediatric nursing as well. Still, when it's your own baby, you are so confused about what your role is and um, and wondering what to do. And Brene Brown has written this book, Braving the Wilderness. And I think that's exactly what we do do in our lives. We brave the wilderness. And at every single step along the way, we have choices to make. Nelson Mandela said, I am the master of my fate. I am the captain of my soul. And if you remember, he, he, that was from Invictus by William Ernest Henley. And he said that that helped him so much in Robben Island when he had to be strong for himself, for his comrades. He said, he often said, I am the master of my fate. I am the captain of my soul. And while I do definitely agree with him, I do also believe that destiny, of course, takes the role in our lives and pushes us and turns us all over the place. And and we have to find the right way forward. There are so many paths, as I've said before, to the top of a mountain. And yet which one we choose to go is our choice. The other thing that Nelson Mandela said I learnt that courage was not the absence of fear, but the triumph over it. The brave man is not he who does not feel afraid, but he who conquers that fear. If anyone can tell, have told us about it, it was Nelson Mandela. He certainly refused to be broken by his circumstances and, uh, and by the role that life gave him. And he changed the course of his life 
And in doing so, he certainly changed the course of South Africa and indeed the world. You know, uh, um, after the, the first advert, you're going to be hearing Khalil Gibran, who's a Lebanese uh, poet, author, and uh, he wrote the book. He's also a philosopher. He wrote the book, The Prophet, one of my favorite books. And he's going to be talking about children. And I actually, I would like you to listen to it because it's, it's very, it's very good. Now, we were never created to actually feel guilty about our lives, to feel defeated, ashamed, or for that matter, unworthy. But being our own worst critics, we often find it's very, very difficult to see the positive in ourselves. It's so much easier to see the positive in other people, but in ourselves, we really do struggle. And each day, we are certainly given new opportunities to choose, to act, to grow, and actually to choose our way forward. And this past weekend, I celebrated um, the wedding of good friends of ours, and it it was absolutely marvelous. And I also loved the words that were used, and um, uh, it, uh, everything was said so beautifully, and it was done in love and care. And I really do think that that is a lesson we would all learn. What I also learned was that I need to watch my words, but I'll fill you in on that a bit later. And a woman who held a babe against her bosom said, Speak to us of children. And he said, Your children are not your children. They are the sons and daughters of life's longing for itself. They come through you, but not from you. And though they are with you, Yet they belong not to you. You may give them your love, but not your thoughts, for they have their own thoughts. You may house their bodies, but not their souls, for their souls dwell in the house of tomorrow, which you cannot visit, not even in your dreams. You may strive to be like them, but seek not to make them like you. For life goes not backward, nor tarries with yesterday. You are the bows from which your children as living arrows are sent forth. The archer sees the mark upon the path of the infinite, and he bends you with his might that his arrows may go swift and far. Let your bending in the archer's hand be for gladness, for even as he loves the arrow that flies, so he loves also the bow that is stable. From talk to music, from Johannesburg to Israel, from sport to business, this is 101.9 High FM. Now, you know, I wanted to go back to the roles we play and also the people who come into our lives to play these roles with us. I'm sure a lot of you have read the, the poem, a, Seas- a Reason, A Season, and A Lifetime, which actually talks about how um, it says people come into your life for a reason, a season, or a lifetime. When you figure out which it is, you'll ex- know exactly what to do. I'm not going to read you this poem right now, but I'm going to tell you about um, these destiny helpers. 
that come in. This comes from uh, a prophet, uh, prophetic teachers, teachings by somebody, and he talks about the 12 uncommon destiny helpers, and these are very fascinating. I would love to hear from you if you actually agree with these. He talks about the first one, which is the divine connectors. These are people who come in. They're the missing link between who you are and who you were designed to be. Most of the time they look insignificant. Why? Because they don't have what you are looking for. They look so ordinary. But the strange thing about them is that they can connect you to what you are looking for. So that's the divine connectors. And we need to be aware of those people coming in that might seem insignificant. But what are they actually teaching us? Then he says to the gatekeepers of nations. Gatekeepers of nations, he says, are like divine connectors, but they have what you're looking for, and they can help you access that which belongs to you and your generations. They have the influence, the ability, connections to bring you to your next level. One introduction from them makes you accepted. A word from them makes you receive an appointment letter or without an application letter even. So they turn your your prayers, your hopes into testimonies. And this is actually very interesting. Um, these are called the gatekeepers of nations. Then the gifted. These are a group of divine helpers who are highly skillful in their chosen professions. They're talented and they're gifted. So when they come into your life, what do they do? They use their gifts, their talents, and their skills to help you accomplish your purpose in life. Now that I actually, if I look back on my life and look at the, the gift of the people who have come into my life and taught me and helped me, um, that it's it's quite amazing when when I I can actually name name them as I think about them and their skills and their talents and what they have they've shown me. Now then, there's the burden carriers. That's number four. These people come into our life to help carry our burdens when the road to our destiny becomes too rough and the burden becomes too heavy. They are faithful. And available, and we need to cherish them. I, I must admit, I also know who the burden carriers are in my life. They stay with you until you see how to move forward into your own destiny. They are the ones whose assignment is to stick with you until you actually accomplish your purpose. They are trusted people, and you can certainly lean on them. In, in, in times of trouble. So please think about who your burden carriers are. Then there are the ladder holders. I've often spoken about the ladders of life and all the different rungs that we have to go through towards our goal. Well, the ladder holders are people who keep you grounded in your principles while you are pursuing your destiny. They are the people who help you focus on your assignment when everyone is saying that you have already arrived. They make sure that you don't deviate from your assignment. 
Now, when you climb this ladder, you will always need ladder holders to keep your ladder steady as you work towards achieving whatever it is that you want to achieve. They know, these ladder holders know where you're coming from and where you are going to, and they remind you of your goals. So they don't allow you to skip the rungs along the way. They actually help keep your feet on the ladder, moving one step up at a time, reminding you what your goals actually are. Then... There's the uncommon mentor. An uncommon mentor is a picture of your future. It's somebody who comes in into your life and they know where you're going because they have been in a similar direction themselves. So they have already got the scars and the wisdom to help you not make those costly mistakes that we all make. What about the man of God? Now, this is something that a lot of people actually question. But if you encounter a man of God, it is someone who's actually just simply going to be there to help you to appreciate your life, to become the joyful person that you're meant to become, to actually become a respected and an honored person. Then there's the disciples The disciples are a group of destiny helpers. And God brings them into your path to help help you to go towards your leadership. They are followers of your leadership. They believe in you, in your vision. We all need people who belong to us. I mean, not belong to us, who believe in our vision. We really do. So these are the disciples, and they help us go towards our fulfillment. We're going to break for a break, and then I'm going to tell you the last 12, the last three, actually, of these. I think that decision-making is a part of the issue of assertiveness. We always think about assertiveness, how assertiveness you can be with other people. But you have to be assertive with yourself and make personal decisions. I know of a woman who takes somebody else to go shopping with her because she can't make a decision as to, to buy the, the, the pink or the, or the blue. But back in my office, I used to have a poster that showed a dog standing between two fire hydrants and the caption was, Decisions, Decisions. And sometimes the decisions that we are indecisive about are of no greater consequences. than. I remember in the shul, there was a whole argument at a meeting from the, 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 the shul organization about an affair that they were going to have, whether they should have the kichel with sugar or the kichel without sugar. I mean, decisions, decisions. But there are decisions in life that are much greater than that. I mean, you make the decision as to who you're going to marry, a decision what kind of profession you want, what kind of job you want. Uh, as a doctor, I have to make a decision how I'm going to treat the patient, right? Um, sometimes a decision, um, do, uh, do we take a chance on surgery? What are the risks of surgery? So there's all levels of decision-making. First thing we have to realize is we are not always going to make the correct decision, right? Only God can be right 100% of the time. I'm going to make wrong decisions. But my decision-making has to be uh, with integrity. Uh, If I'm going to 
think about whether I should operate on a patient or not. It's not because how much I can collect for the operation, right? But what is the best thing for this patient? So, uh, it, first of all, we have to r realize that we are uh, uh, housed within a physical body that has desires and has impulses, etc., and that they may color our decision making. Right? Uh, we may not realize that sometimes we're bribed. Right? And the bribe is because we want things to turn out a certain way and we don't make the decision on what is really right because we see what is really right, what we want to be right. So uh, there was a, one of the great Hasidic Rebbe's who was asked by one of his uh, followers, how can I make good decisions? So the Rebbe said, did you ever watch a tightrope walker? He said, the way a tightrope walker keeps his balance is that if he feels himself pulled over to the one side, he overcorrects by leaning to the other side. And that's how he keeps his balance. He says, when you have a desire to do something, the first thing you ought to recognize is most of the desires come from animalistic traits. So the first thing you should do is think as to why you should not do it. Right? And then lean over to that side, and then you may make a decision. Uh, I think that we have to have self-confidence in our decisions and uh, realize I am uh, capable of making decisions. There are times when I have to ask expertise, expert advice. But uh, given that, ultimately, the decisions are mine. And I also have to realize that not making a decision is a decision, that I've decided not to make a decision. Right? And I have to realize that if I'm not going to make decisions, people, other people are going to make them for me. Right? And that the decisions that other people are going to make for me are much, uh, are much worse than, these, and than the worst decisions that I can make for myself. Right? Because uh, I have my, uh, my own interest and I really, most people know what's good for them. So uh, I think that making decisions means getting the best possible information right? and having self-confidence. I think it's appropriate to pray for decisions, right? and ask for divine guidance and help me make the right decision. And then not to be shaken by the fact that after we do the best we can, that the decision may not work out the way we want. Right? And not to see that a, a decision that has poor consequences, not to see that as a horrible failure on our part. Right? I always say our decisions are good or bad determined by how we made them, not what the consequences. The best part of your day. At the heart of your community. All the talk. All the music. All the news. Hi, FM. Hello, I'm back again. It's Sue Jackson. And you can SMS me on 34519 or you can WhatsApp on 061-895-1019. You have just heard Rabbi Abraham Tversky talking about how to make the right decisions. Now, I chose him especially because we are talking about the people who are helping us along our life's journey and therefore help us often to make the right decisions. And we need to understand that so often teenagers feel that they don't want to live our life. 
They want to live their own life, not according to someone else's life. And I think this is, this is part of actually allowing them to believe that we do trust them to a certain extent, obviously. Now I'm going back to the, um, the, the, divine connectors, the destiny helpers. I've already gone through talking about these are the people who come into our lives to help us along our lives to achieve our ultimate purpose, our goal. They are the divine connectors who are the the link between who you are and who you were designed to be. Then they are the gatekeepers of nations. These are people who who help you and to see what belongs to you and your generations. They have influence, ability, and connections which help you to your next level. Then there's the gifted. These are the the um, destiny helpers who are skilled in their chosen professions. They are gifted in a certain way, and they come into our your life to use their gifts to actually help you accomplish your purpose in your life. Then there are the burden carriers. These people come into your life to help carry your burdens when you when it those burdens become too heavy to carry and too painful. They are faithful, they are available, they are the most wonderful people to have with you. They are also very, very loyal. Then you have the ladder holders, people who keep you grounded in your principles whilst you are fulfilling your destiny. They help you keep focused and not to deviate from your goal. They also make sure that you climb that rung, that ladder, one rung at a time, that you don't skip in between. Then there are the um, the uncommon mentor, which is someone who actually can almost see where you are going and they have been there themselves. So their experiences, their scars and their wisdom help you from making the same mistakes. Then they're the disciples, a group of destiny helpers that are brought onto our path to help serve and support us. They actually often follow our leadership. They believe in our vision, which is so necessary. All of us need to be believed in, especially when we're not believing in ourselves. Then the uncommon enemy. You will need an uncommon enemy to succeed and accomplish the purpose for which you are working towards. What is an uncommon enemy? It's a man or a woman that comes into your destiny who helps to bring the best out of you. How? Often by opposing you and your destiny. You know, if you look at um, Goliath, who was his uncommon enemy? David. And David um, was his uncommon enemy. So we need an uncommon enemy who will... Uh, will actually fight us and help us in a, in a strange way actually move on and uh, and get on with our lives. Then what about the uncommon spouse? This is a person you have married and it's a reflection of your wisdom. Your spouse is actually a picture of your destiny. So spouse, if you're listening in, Thank you so much for being in my, as my part of my destiny. The uncommon spouse comes into your life to keep you focused on your assignment. 
and the depth of knowledge of a person is actually seen in his or her spouse and um, and we can tell a lot by actually just looking at a relationship then of course it's what um uh, Rabbi Tversky spoke about when he said we need to pray. So that's the final one. Now, pray, we each pray to somebody different. Some people may pray to, to God, others to whoever. But we all come from different religions, so the path is going to eventually, ultimately bring us in the same direction. Who knows? But we are here to walk this road together. So we are here to actually help one another in on this on this road. And as Tversky says, to to actually make the decisions to pray for divine guidance wherever we think it's going to be coming from, but also to realize that many of our decisions are not going to work out as we decide they're going to work out. Um, And some of them are going to have poor consequences, and this is when our destiny helpers actually do come in. You know, there's um, a a, a thing... uh, quote that says don't be ashamed of your story it will inspire others and I must admit the longer that I am on this journey the more I realize how inspired I am by other people's stories we so often rush through our lives and don't hear the stories of other people and each person has a valuable story of the lessons they have learned along the way you know, at my uh, brother's funeral uh, a few years ago, this my, my nephew read this poem, and it's beautiful, and I'm sure a lot of you know it. It's called uh, The Dash by Linda Ellis. And it says, I read of a man who stood to speak at the funeral of a friend. He referred to the dates on her casket from beginning to the end. He noted that first came the date of her birth, and spoke of the following date with tears. But he said what mattered most of all was the dash between those years. For that dash represents all the time that she spent alive on earth, and now only those who loved her know what that little line, that dash, is worth. For it matters not how much we own, the cars, the house, the cash, what matters is how we live and love and how we spend our dash. So think about this long and hard. Are there things you would like to change? For you never know how much time is left that can still be rearranged. If we could just slow down enough to consider what is true and real and always try to understand the way other people feel and be less quick to anger and show appreciation more and love the people in our lives like we have never loved before. If we treat each other with respect and more often wear a smile, remembering that this special dash might only last a little while. So when your eulogy is being read with your life's actions to rehash, would you be proud of the things they say? about how you spent your dash. That poem, as I say, if you want to look it up, it's by Linda Ellis and it's called The Dash 
and it certainly is. How do we spend this time? Ralph Waldo Emerson says, you cannot do kindness too soon. You never know how soon it will be too late. Now, part of that kindness is in the words we use. And I must admit that in the last few weeks, I have noticed that I say things that are probably quite out of place. And I um, I don't mean them to be hurtful, but they are. And uh, I read a, a, a thing called Hostile Words on Aish. And it was about a, a, a woman who said there was a loud pound, pounding on her door one Shabbos morning and, and someone shouted at her um, that she had uh, stolen his garbage can. Now, she said that that was not what she had done. And um, was he making a joke, she wondered, or was, was it just improper words that he was using? And she said she was very, very taken aback. But yet again realized of the power of the you, the words we use and she said that if he had said i think you took out one my garbage can by mistake which she said is exactly what had happened she would have responded in the same way with an apology and a promise to return it instead he actually chose to say you stole my garbage can so, you know, uh, this is Imuna Braveman who says, the words we choose to, to use make a difference in how we see the world, in how we see other people, and in how others see us. Do we use positive words or negative words, kind ones or cruel ones? And maybe it's sometimes we don't even realize it. Um, are we careful that the words we use? Because we often do say hurtful things without even realizing that they are hurtful. And one man's humor is also not another man's humor. And I know this is something that my husband often says in the workplace, that he does not like people to joke in any form because sometimes they're joking about someone else's uh, race or religion to the person and yet it can turn ugly and it can be taken in a, in a way that is so incredibly hurtful. So I think we need to I certainly have to use the hostile, you know, learn about the hostile words that come out. Then to go on to a more cheerful note, um, Rabbi Sachs is going to be, are you going to be listening to a YouTube on him about to be free? You have to let go of hate. That's going to be after the third advert shortly. It's not just yet. But, you know, um, he, I think it's very appropriate for where we are at now. When I think of the news of the Florida she, uh, shooting of the the, the um, injury of our IDF soldiers in Israel, of when I see what's happening in Syria, um, you know, there is so much hatred that's going on in the world. And is it? What can we do? We we often feel so absolutely helpless thinking that we can't do anything. Now, there are so many people around us who are negative. And, you know, positive thinkers have a solution for every problem. Negative thinkers have a problem for every solution So uh, and every situation. So what should we do? We don't always have a, a, a solution for the problem, but should we walk around making everyone else 
feel miserable. I was in one of the spa shops the other day, and there were some people talking in the queue. And I, I was absolutely shocked at, at what they were saying. It was about what was happening in South Africa at the moment. It was also about uh, the drought in, in Cape Town. It was about many different aspects. None of it was going to enhance anyone's lives. Um, and yet we have so much to be thankful for here. Uh, we are certainly looking at big changes in our country and in our own small way, we can all help. We can all say the right words. We can all change negative thinking, neg negative people. We can walk away from negative people. We don't need toxic people in our lives. Walk away and change your own thoughts into something positive. The other thing I want to say about Israel, which absolutely amazes me, I was listening to a talk by um, one of the CNN presenters, and she was saying how terror is meant to terrorize an entire population. And if you see the shootings that have been going on in America, uh, I'm not talking about the, the, the school shooting now, but I'm talking about the terrorist shootings. Um, people are hiding, beginning to hide from that terror. It's affecting the nation and many other nations. When I was in Israel, what I really noticed was that they do not allow terror to destroy their spirit. We're breaking for an advert, and then you're going to hear Robert, Rabbi Lord Jonathan Sachs talking on to be free, you have to let go of hate. My lords, I too thank the noble Lord, Lord Risby, for initiating this important debate. And at the outset, I declare an interest. I am a Jew. Israel is therefore for me the place where my people were born almost 4,000 years ago the place to which Abraham and Sarah traveled, where Amos voiced his vision of social justice and Isaiah dreamt of a world at peace, where David composed the Psalms and Solomon built the temple. And this had consequences, not only for Jews, but also for Christians and Muslims who claim Abraham as their ancestor in faith and whose God they take as their own. This had tragic repercussions throughout the Middle Ages because Christians and Muslims claimed, each in their own way, to have replaced Jews as the people of God and thus as heirs to the Holy Land. The otherwise saintly Augustine declared that Jews were cursed with the curse of Cain, destined to be restless wanderers on earth without a home. Islam held that any land that ever came under Muslim rule was henceforth and forever Dar al-Islam, that is, land that rightly belongs to the Ummah, the Muslim people, any other rule being illegitimate. On both of these theologies, Jews had no right to their ancestral home. A half century ago, these theologies would have been considered irrelevant. The West had moved on. After a century of religious wars, Following the Re Reformation, it recognized the need for the secularization of power. This allowed the United Nations, in the partition vote of 1947, to grant Jews the right to a nation-state of their own after 2,000 years of exile and persecution. Eventually, there were peace agreements with Egypt and Jordan, and an intensive process 
with the Palestinians. When power is secularized, peace is possible. Today, though, throughout the Middle East, in parts of Asia and Africa, there is a seismic shift taking place in the opposite direction. People are de-secularizing. They feel betrayed by secular nationalist governments that failed to deliver prosperity and national pride. They consider the national boundaries imposed by colonial powers to be artificial and obsolete. They're uninspired by the secular culture of the West with its maximum of choice and minimum of meaning. And they have come to believe that salvation lies in a return to the Islam that bestrode the narrow world like a colossus for the better part of a thousand years. And although their faith is hostile to modernity, they sometimes understand modernity better than its own creators in the West. They know that because of the Internet, YouTube, and the social media, communication, indeed politics, has gone global. And they also know that the great monotheisms are the most powerful global communities in the world, far broader and deeper in their reach than any nation-state. And the religious radicals are offering young people the chance to fight and dive for their faith, winning glory on earth and immortality in heaven. They have started recruiting in the West, and they have only just begun. But when ancient theologies are used for modern political ends, they speak a very dangerous language indeed. So, for example, Hamas and Hezbollah, both self-defined as religious movements, refuse to recognize the legitimacy of the State of Israel within any boundaries whatsoever and seek only its complete destruction. The Islamists also know that the only way they can win the sympathy of the West is by demonizing Israel. They know you cannot win support for ISIS, Boko Haram, or Islamic Jihad. But if you can blame Israel, you will gain the support of academics, unions, and parts of the media, and you will distract attention from the massacres in Syria and Iraq, the slow descent of other countries into chaos, and the ethnic cleansing of Christians throughout the region. They are thus repeating the very failure of the regimes they have risen against, who for 50 years suppressed dissent by demonizing Israel as the cause of everything wrong in the Arab or Islamic world. When you blame others for your failures, you not only harm the others, you harm yourself and your people. To be free, you have to let go of hate. And if you let hate speech infect the West, as has already happened in some of our campuses, prisons, and schools, then our freedom, too, will be at risk. My lords, I and the vast majority of the Jewish community care deeply about the future of the Palestinians. We want Palestinian children, no less than Israeli children, to have a future of peace, prosperity, freedom, and hope, which is why we oppose those who teach Palestinian children 
to hate those with whom they will one day have to live and to take money given for humanitarian aid and use it to buy weapons and dig tunnels to take the region back to a dark age of barbarism. More generally, we say, in the name of the God of Abraham, the almighty, merciful, and compassionate God, that the religion in whose name atrocities are being carried out, innocent people butchered and beheaded, children treated as slaves, civilians turned into human shields, and young people into weapons of self-destruction is not the Islam that once earned the admiration of the world, nor is its God, the God of Abraham. It was Nietzsche, not the prophets, who worshipped the will to power. It was Machiavelli, not sacred scripture, who taught that it is better to be feared than to be loved. Every religion must wrestle with its dark angels, and so today must we, Jews, Christians, and Muslims alike, for we are all children of Abraham, and it will only be when we make space for one another as brothers and sisters that we will redeem the world from darkness and walk together in the light of God. This is 101.9 High FM. Hello, this is Sue Jackson on Finding Human, and you were listening to Lord Jonathan Sachs, Rabbi Lord Jonathan Sachs, talking about to be free, you have to let go of hate. I have listened to that YouTube so often, and each time I actually learn something more. I think what we have to understand is that our thoughts and emotions are connected. And as he said, we wrestle with our own dark angels and our own demons as well. And our thoughts are actual mental cognitions. These are ideas, our opinions, our beliefs about ourselves and the world around us. Does it mean that they are always correct? No, we should be open to actually listening to other people's beliefs as well. But these thoughts include our experience, unfortunately, and they color our point of view, whether it's for better or for worse or just neutral. Um, unfortunately, a thought that has, is there for a long time becomes an attitude. This is a thought that is repeated over and over and over again and is reinforced. They are bad. They are ugly. They are this. They are that. Therefore, it becomes our attitude. And thoughts uh, uh, actually do shape our lives. Um, uh, our lives are, sh are, are shaped by the thoughts, our experiences, obviously in our edu education, and sometimes even genetically. But they are usually under our control. We can change them. Is it easy? No. But if we become aware of our attitudes and our thoughts, we can begin to change them. With Not easy, but we can do it. Now, what about the connection to emotions? Well, emotions are actually the flow and the experience of feelings. So, for example, joy, sadness, anger, or, or fear... These are emotions that are triggered by something external, it could be, like seeing a sad 
something or seeing a friend, being happy about that, a sunrise, a sunset. Or it can be from something internal, for instance, an upsetting memory. Um, Now, emotions, actually each person responds to them in a different way. And some people really struggle to understand their emotions. But emotions do serve to connect us with others and also to help us cultivate strong social bonds. You know, if an authentic person will share a lot of themselves, not overly share, but certainly will share and also listen to someone else. Uh, a survey that was done by the researchers Nicholas Christakis and James Fowler, who were the authors of a book called Connected, they found that emotions are contagious. Uh, they said that we have a tendency to mimic each other's outward states. So, for on, for example, if you're walking up to a till and someone and you smile at someone, they're more likely to smile back at you. Um, if you frown at them, you'll get the same in return. And our outward states can also reflect our internal ones. So, smiling can actually make you feel happy. Try it. Uh, we need to understand that our thoughts and our emotions actually affect our physical and our emotional health. I'm going to have to uh, wrap up now. Next week, I've got Robin Schmuckler and Leanne Jackson on my program, and they will be talking about gratitude and uh, some fantastic ideas they have. I would like to end with this quote, um, and then we're going to have a, 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 a song by the Bee Gees called The Morning of My Life. But this is the quote that I'd like you to go with. Nobody can go back and start a new beginning, but anyone can start today and make a new ending. I wish you all joy as you go on with your destiny towards your purpose. God bless.